I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. This is Bitches on Comics, and I'm your host, Essie Flinor. And I'm Sarah Century. Thanks for listening. question from Kelly. I don't have a local comic book store really within even a half hour radius around me. One time I went into one, they told me they'd order something and then I never heard back and they seem to have forgotten about me. I'm not sure I want to go back on a regular basis to get a pull list going. So what do you think? Is it better to wait for the collected volumes or should I be looking to get these on an issue by issue basis? It sounds like the situation that you're in specifically, you would certainly want to be waiting for the collected editions. It seems like you wouldn't have a consistent setup to where you were able to look for the issue-by-issue scenario. It seems like the comic book store is really far out of the way. I have experience with this. Whenever I was a kid, I wanted to buy comics more than I wanted to buy anything in my whole life. So I desperately looked forward to the time when we could go to a comic store, but the comic store was like an hour away. So it was like on Christmas, if I could get my parents to drop me off at the comic store for 30 minutes, I could go spend all of the money that I had saved up on it, right? Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, it's real nerdy. So I bought a lot of comics that were like the Batgirl story, you know, the Birds of Prey, whenever it was still being written by Chuck Dixon, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. I was buying that stuff. It was, you know, 90s and I was in love with comics. So I would wait and try to collect everything. And it was really frustrating. It gets really frustrating to do that. Back then, they didn't really have trade paperbacks. Trade paperbacks are essentially made for you. If you're a person who has any kind of accessibility issues, I would say absolutely wait for the trades. You can order them easier. You can order them from various places. You don't have to go to a comic book store to order them. 
them. You can get them online. You can get them from a bookstore. You can get them from your library. You can get them from your library. You know, yep. in pretty much any library, even if they don't carry them, they probably have interlibrary loan. Yeah. Like, I wanted to read the Judge Dredd omnibus. Yes. You like it. I don't love it. Yeah. But we have different opinions about Judge Dredd. Love the movie. Didn't care of the comic. However, the only way I could get it was through interlibrary loan from like actually three or four towns over from Denver. I live in Denver. I can't get Judge Dredd, but fine, whatever. They got it for me and I was able to read it. So go in if you can to your library and just talk to somebody. Say like, I have some books that I'm really interested in reading. They might be a little bit more obscure. Maybe go in with a list. I don't know where you could get a list. I mean, maybe from us <laughs> and from our Patreon, if that's what you're into. Yes, a pull list is important. We've talked about that a little bit before. You know, pre-ordering is important if you really care about a title because comic books are just really, really poorly organized the way the sales work. So it's important if you can do that. You can't. Don't feel bad, Kelly. It's okay. Yeah. It's really okay. I don't do a pull list right now. I'm yeah. not a huge fan of the local comic book stores that I've been to. I also have just like a little bit of an obsession with being in my home. I'm a Taurus, so I really love home. But the other thing I was going to suggest, and Sarah and I both do this, and I find it affordable for how much I read, is you can get Marvel Unlimited right. or DC Universe. Those are the two apps for the two big companies. There's also Comixology that's owned by Amazon. So. And I believe it's called Hoopla that people have been telling me about. I Hoopla. haven't tried that yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Yes, it seems like it's going right. to be a good, maybe non-Amazon way of buying certain comics. Overdrive. Yeah. Libraries have a digital ability, too, to read comics. Right. So we've talked a little bit about where you can find comics and how to read comics and things like that. But the specific situation that you're setting up here, it just seems like if you tried to do issue by issue, you would end up missing a lot. And nobody wants to read a story where you're reading chapter two, chapter three, chapter five, and then you don't get the last chapter, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, just wait for the trades and they're easier to find. They're collected. They're literally made for you. Yeah. I always recommend trades for people who are like, I just want to get into a story. Yeah. It's like, okay, then go pick up Marguerite Bennett's Batwoman and mm -hmm. just like dive in. Pick up, you know, Saga of the Swamp Thing and just go wild. So I think that it's going to be a great opportunity for you. It's notable too that issue by issue stuff is not something that is currently increasing much in value over time like it used to. So there used to be a huge collector's market that was driving a lot of this stuff. It still exists somewhat, but it's not the same. So I would just not even worry about that. A lot of the older comic collectors were really opposed to these trade paperbacks because they were like, oh, it's going to kill the collectibles market. But considering the fact that most of us live in poverty now, I would say that that was already kind of on the way out the door. So say love you. friend of the show, Sarah, wanted to ask, what are some of the first queer comic characters out of all of the comic characters? So I think the earliest one I have is from 1968. Do you have an earlier one, Sarah? Yeah, I have the Ultra Humanite, which is a woman, man, monkey what? situation. Uh, yeah, definitely strange, a little strange, old Superman villain, very rudimentary understanding of gender dynamics back then, of course, but that was definitely an early take on a pretty queer character. And then what do you have for the 60s? So I have Captain Piscums and His Pervert Pirates uh -huh. by S. Clay Wilson in Zap Comics. That's from 1968. I'm not saying it was like a good thing. Right. But that was definitely a underground comic that was super explicit sexually. Right. And then you have the women's comics yep. folks. Trina and then Robbins. Gay comics as yeah. well, which is Howard Cruz. That's, uh -huh. But that's 1980. 
Right. When and did women comics start? They might have actually been like 72 or something, 71 maybe, but you know, early. And then you had, of course, a lot of the people who are working on that comic went on and did their own comics, like Roberta Gregory and people like that had, you know, the Naughty Bits comic and that kind of stuff. Also, of course, Love and Rockets, we brought up multiple times. That's one of the earliest renditions of queer characters that ever made it anywhere close to a mainstream audience, I would say. Then, you know, then we start to get in. Oh, well, we subtext. Got d- dikes to watch out for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bechdel, that was 19. The opposite of subtext. Yeah, super text. And then, yes, we get into, like, a lot of subtext. Mystique. Mystique. Destiny. Constantine. Richter and Shatterstar. A lot of these became also out later. North Star, who was one of the first that came out. Uh, But before North Star, there was an incredibly stereotypical character that was called Extrano. I believe that that name means strange or bizarre or something. He's kind of a... Just an unbelievably offensive character, honestly. People did not enjoy that. People were really upset about it, and fair enough. Uh, Tara from Team Titans, not Teen Titans, was alluded to perhaps have a romance on the horizon before the book was canceled. And then it kind of goes into North Star coming out, who his whole coming out story was awful, full of stereotypes. You know, his gay mentor who has AIDS and is dying and the young kid and there's just all kinds of stereotypes in that and then of course as I've said before North Star is almost completely written out of the book he gets a mini series a few years later where there is no mention of him having come out so it takes a long time for him to actually come out really after he comes out and then of course you know now we're in the modern age and then there's you know billions of other characters some of the other ones I just thought were interesting. I think because I think of a lot of these characters as having been out for a long time, and it's like, my God, this is like no time at all. So Constantine was confirmed as bi in 1992, but it was confirmed with one half of a line. Yeah. And the odd bloke, and then nothing uh-huh. and for a very long time. Oliver. <laughs> yeah. Oh, years later. Years later, we got Oliver. Iceman, but Iceman wasn't outed till 2015. Took he was a long outed time. By Jean. A lot of characters like Moon Dragon, Valkyrie. All of those characters who are highly, heavily closeted. Batwoman is fridged, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, and then comes back as a lesbian in like 2011. So Batwoman's only been around for, you know, the last like eight years, essentially. We've seen a lot of growth, obviously, over that time. But she was really, I believe, one of the early examples of a queer person who has their own comic who's in a mainstream situation. Absolutely. Loki really became solidly gender fluid and bi, you know, it was implied before in 2014. Yeah. It's ridiculous, honestly. A lot of this stuff was incredibly slow moving. And even characters that now are, of course, canonically gay. Of course, Storm had a fling with Yukio. We were reading comics where Storm was in a hot tub with Yukio playing footsie naked, you know, but it was immediately not ever brought up again. So, and, you know, Mystique and Destiny, who every person knew that that was a lesbian couple, it's really difficult to hide those two characters as being, I mean, you know, maybe a lesbian and then genderqueer couple or maybe a genderqueer couple in general. But, like, essentially this is a queer couple, yeah. right, you know? Who it at boils the time, down to... <laughs> who at the time would have been considered lesbian. And yeah, we're only just now, we just now saw their on-panel kiss for the first time, and it was a flashback. So, you know, we're still wading through this stuff. Kitty Pride's still straight, you know? like well, Harley Quinn and, and Poison Ivy, you know, that's 2015 they were confirmed. That not. took years. And also, you know, they haven't been able to make that story work except for in Bombshells, and then for a really brief time in the Amanda Connor series. Yeah. And... Uh, Both of those I think are great, but it's really painful to love those characters sometimes and to see the way that they're written. 
Jughead was only confirmed as ace in 2016. And that didn't transfer it to didn't, the Riverdale Exactly, show. where he's, he's allosexual, right. you know, and, and that stinks. Coagula, mm-hmm. who's a trans woman in Doom Patrol, that's 1993. Created, I believe created by Rachel Pollock, yeah, right? Okay, was, so. was created by a trans woman. Um, very interesting character. We were talking about her earlier. She is a sex worker who has sex with Rebus and then contracts superpowers yeah. through their sexual encounter, which I love and find weird. You know, yeah. I'm like Rebus, why have Different you found time, a way right? to have a prophylactic? So you All of the queer characters who died in the Sandman, <laughs> there's that. That's a big old list. And, yeah. uh, you well, know. And Hulkling and Wiccan, they were right? 2005, you know? Yeah. Which sadly was like early for this list, you know? Yeah. So you know now we have America but we don't see enough of America oh, I love America all of these I'm sorry a lesbian who can kick star shaped holes through dimensions and calls Hi. you princess and, and is like a Latinx person yeah named America yes she's the best where is this story yeah why don't we see more Push of her side yeah I mean I think part of the reason we don't see it for a long time is supposedly you know word on the street is Marvel for instance had a no gaze in the Marvel Universe policy under Jim Shooter's 80s tenure right or just the comics code in general so we can say yeah Jim Shooter wasn't budging on that but that was definitely something that we can't boil down to being one editorial decision for considering sure, the for fact sure. that all of the editors had a fairly anti-woman approach for sure. a long time not I'm not gonna say all of them I'm sure there's great dudes not all men or whatever but um, it wasn't all men but it yeah the facts don't always back you up on that not all men thing but uh, <laughs> but I will say that some were worse than others and I also will say that any kind of hostile misogyny is probably going to reflect how you view queer people as well so if you're already hostile to women you're probably not going to be super accepting of gay people and it doesn't seem like there was a lot of acceptance during that time or even into the 90s, even into the now. You know, we still struggle to get this representation. So Absolutely. And I just don't want to leave them off because they end up being like kind of a cute power couple is Midnighter and Apollo from The Authority. Oh, I love them, yeah. And they end up parenting together, which is pretty cool. Yeah, their story is really hit and miss because you have people like Mike Millar, or (laughs) sorry, Mark Millar writing them. But, um, you know, damn, I don't know what to say. Sometimes it's cute. (laughs) Like, I'm here for it when he's not writing it. I have that ability. We were talking about this on a different episode where – the ability when whenever Gene comes up, you're like, fine, I'll put some blinders on. It's me with queer characters. Yeah. Queer character comes up, I'm like, I love it. This is great. I just love it. I love it to be. I just want to read Because I just want queer people so badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Apollo and Midnight are iconic, and they certainly were characters that were outside of mainstream. But yeah, we were talking too about like Vampirilla and stuff. Vampirilla is a character who, after years and years and years, was outed as being pansexual and got a girlfriend, and it was really gosh darn cute. And it was actually kind of the best story for her because it was after a really long time of people dismissing her then she had this kind of interesting queer personality that we got to see a lot of all of a sudden and that added all of this dimension to her that's kind of the thing that people forget is when you are taking a character that isn't very well known or it's a character who's been thrown under the bus a lot of times that we don't see a lot of like if it's somebody like Vampirilla who's regularly dismissed part of her story has always seemed very queer and so to add the queerness it adds so much to her character because it's almost like a block is being removed from them right totally I, I feel exactly that I felt that way with Loki yeah I felt that I felt way like, about Iceman you know Iceman. these are all characters Ugh. that 
after years and years of subtext, we finally get these better stories with them. And the way that they got to have better stories is the way that a lot of us get to have better stories is by coming out of the closet. Oh. Summers made her first appearance in Days of Future Past, which was the alternate reality right. version where Mystique and Destiny kill Robert Kelly and then the future turns apocalyptic, right. Right. all right. the X-Men die and this and that. And then Katie Pride, as I think 40-something-year-old person, gets sent back by Rachel Summers who we have no context for in this, but we see a red-headed girl named Rachel Summers, and we think, this sounds familiar. Wait a tick. I think I could put red this hair, together. Summers. Something's happening. Something's happening. I don't know what. So she helps Kate Pride go back into young Kitty Pride's body, right? So for that whole arc, we're dealing with Kitty Pride, but we're also dealing <laughs> with Kate Pride in Kitty Pride's 14-year-old body. I don't know if you've ever thought about what it'd be like to be 14 again, but it sounds terrifying. I would hard pass. One of the things that would be terrifying about a post-apocalyptic future. (laughs) (laughs) Going back into the past. Top five concerns about a post-apocalyptic future, absolutely being sent into my 14-year-old body. Yes, dislike. So Rachel Summers comes back a little bit later. We find out that she believes herself to be the child of that universes, the Days of Future Past universes, Jean, Grey, Scott, Scott Summers, right? Both of whom died in so that story. Dark Phoenix Cyclops, baby. There is another theory <laughs> that is Phoenix is the dad of Rachel Summers. So Phoenix and Jean have baby. Yes, and I love I like that, that theory so much more. So much better. So oh then calling her Rachel Summers doesn't even make sense, which is why a lot of people call her Rachel Gray right now. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, she's always had the most extreme of mom issues. And if you if you were just a young queer and your mom was that goddamn perfect and that, like, drop-dead gorgeous and every person who ever meets her loves her, then you would have all kinds of complexes. And that's where we find our girl Rachel Gray. So is Rachel Gray half-siblings with Nate Summers? Sort of, yeah. Like, different universe (laughs) siblings. They talk about it. They have weird interactions that are them being kind of like, hey, we're related-ish. Guess what? We sort of have the same parents? Question mark. So Rachel Gray- Do they consider Strife a brother? Yes. Because Strife is also a clone of of Cable. Slash Nathan Summers. (laughs) Oh, Strife. So, <laughs> Strife is like like a drunk train, is what I think of Strife as. <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah, who's really bitter, just mad about everything. Mad about his parents, mad about his brother, mad about everybody. Rachel Summers also, I want to make a note, was a hound in the future. She was trained to track down other mutants. Her mutant telepathy was something that traumatized her because she was put into the service of tracking down other mutants yeah. and killing them, essentially. Hot. She's such a babe. And (laughs) she also has the incredible leather outfit with the spikes on it, the red leather. And then she had her, like, crop top. It's been years and we're all still, everybody's like, oh, yeah, this character's straight for sure. You guys should believe (laughs) it. You should just believe it. And it's like, (laughs) 
Oh, I'm sorry. Is this the same character that had a rat tail from 1985 to 1995? She's not straight. And she wore a red leather studded outfit everywhere she went casually so <laughs> I love that. she ended up actually doing this really interesting thing too which was in uncanny x-men at a certain point she decided that she hated the beyonder so much that the whole universe would be better without the beyonder so she was just gonna restart the whole universe <laughs> and kill everybody she'd ever met <laughs> and just the Beyonder sucks so bad. I'm just going to kill the universe and remake it in my image. And the X-Men were <laughs> a put, off, put off by that. It's really <laughs> funny, actually, because Rogue comes running in and Rachel Summers is saying that. And, and Rogue goes, no, your mom's Phoenix. <laughs> no. And she just goes running to tell on her. <laughs> so that was fun. That was very Rogue, I would say, for that time period. So they stop her, but Wolverine ends up stabbing her, and then she goes through the Siege Perilous, and she comes back in Excalibur. And Excalibur is where you see her and Kitty Pride be girlfriends the most. Uh-huh. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, mm-hmm. I remember that. Not very girlfriends. After that, <laughs> she's gone completely off the rails. Nobody knows what the hell to do with that character. So that's pretty much the Rachel Gray story. Now you see her, and they're like, well, she's, like, dating Nightcrawler now, and it's, you know, just stop trying to make her be straight. <laughs> it's not going to yeah. work. It's so awkward when they do that, when you're like, the character's queer. I'm not telling you to make the character queer. You wrote them queer. This is the most queer-coded character I've ever seen. Mom issues. <laughs> Red leather. <laughs> Rat tail. Rat tail. Kitty Pride. Kitty Pride's best friend. Are you serious? We're gonna go ahead and put that friend in. <laughs> they sh- they shared a bedroom for a little while, and whenever Colossus came back from the dead, Rachel Summers, instead of being happy that Colossus was back from the dead, said, Does this mean you're gonna move out of our room? <laughs> gay! That is so gay. It's gay! <laughs> And in the end, the comic, the end, Kitty Pride is like the president of the United States and Rachel Summers is her friend who's always at her side and lives with her and they share a bedroom. Just gals being pals. Just gal pals. Pretty sure. It's like Miley on vacation. Yes. Gal pals. They're just sucking gal pals. Hanging out. Smooching on the lips. Yeah. Because that's what I do with my gal pals. I, Yeah. That's the story of Rachel Gray. (laughs) Gal pal extraordinaire. (laughs) She really is. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests 
where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Comic of the Week is The Pervert. Art by Remy Boydell. Words by Michelle Perez. Yay! <laughs> this Yay. comic was great. Ugh. This is a comic about a young trans woman living in Seattle who is dealing with gentrification and being pushed out of the ability to support herself. And she's a sex worker. And it's about the relationships she develops individually as part of her sex work, her friendships, her relationships with other trans women. And it is just fucking beautiful. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's so much about this comic, and yet the plot is just that. Like, that's pretty much all that happens if you're looking for things that happen, happen in a story. But for the tone and the Uh. mood, I think that is why this comic stood out so much. A lot of people put this at the very top of their 2018 list as, you know, one of the best comics of the year. I would go so far as to say this is really one of the best comics of the decade. Like, it was brilliant. And comes from a perspective that you just really don't see in comics at all. Oh, yeah. So you don't see comics from sex workers. You really don't very often see comics from trans people at all in comics. But that's part of what makes it so great. But also, it seems like that specific viewpoint in Seattle at the specific time when a lot of queer people are getting pushed out and a lot of artists are getting pushed out, to me, it grants it so much depth and perspective oh my and God, yeah. anchors it to a very specific time in a way that not many comics are, right? You know, maybe like Love and Rockets in the early 80s is like very linked to like that punk culture and things like that. But a lot of times comics try to exist completely outside of the times that they're in. You know, you have superhero comics and those almost always don't make connections to what's going on in the world. Or you see what to me was a really bad version of it, which was when Lois Lane is like taking on Donald Trump or whatever in that new series. I didn't love that. (laughs) You know, there's things I do love about that series, but I didn't love that aspect of it. I think that what is so interesting about this one is that it is exactly in the moment that it is, right? Yeah. It captures a specific experience experience in a way that is universal. Yeah. And it is so filled with longing and loss and desperation. Those moments where everything feels bad and long, you know, you can't put words to it in a lot of ways. It's profound in that way, I think, because it gives that voice to just the depression of needing to move on and not being capable of doing it yet. Literally because our society will not let you. Yeah. Right? It, it, she lives with street harassment. Yeah. She lives with, you know, going on a date with a woman and then her husband popping in. Yeah. And being like, hey, three-way time. And, you know, she deals with her girlfriend judging her for yeah. being okay with her body. It's the just, polyamory uh, stuff where, because yeah. uh, the character themselves is not a perfect character either. No, which no. is uh, important to note because there's other characters that come across fairly badly in this but then also she isn't 
the best that she is going to be, right? So you see her make mistakes where she is not necessarily communicating things very well. She's with this person who doesn't give a lot of physical affection. And you can tell that that really wears on the character. But then later that means that like her attention goes away. And mm-hmm. so like they have this kind of inability to see eye to eye. And it's like, it's not a bad relationship, but it is a terrible relationship because they can't see eye to eye, right? Like there's nothing intrinsically abusive, but they just don't agree (laughs) on this fundamental place. Absolutely. And you know, the other thing I, I think about it is it captures the experience of being so poor that you cannot fix your life. Yeah. And having been there at times in my life, and I know you have too, Sarah, like if you haven't been there, you just, it's really hard to understand what the experience is like. And I think this captures it. How devastating poverty actually is. And then also the fact that she's making boundaries and she's doing a good job of like trying to draw these lines of, I'm not going to put myself in this terrible position just because I desperately need the money. But then also a lot of her job ends up having to be in these kind of uncomfortable situations and doing that, you know, because needs to get money, (laughs) needs to do things, you know, needs to move on. And that ends up in some ways tying her very much to the moment that she's stuck in, right? So she ends up meeting that guy who is like wanting to make more of an emotional connection. Yeah. But then also in some ways wants to control, right? Yeah. He's a widow who was married to a trans woman and is really transferring a lot of feelings onto the main character. Yeah. And and the reason we're not using a name is the main character doesn't have a name in this case and shares some sort of a nom de plume, so to speak. That was a really good double entendre. I'm proud of myself for that one. But she, you know, she doesn't. She doesn't give her real name ever. It just doesn't come up. And there's so many tensions in this that yeah. I think are really incredible. There's this tension between city life and she's from rural Michigan mm-hmm. and grew up hunting. And you know, there's this juxtaposition of the imagery of the hunting and the sex work. And there's juxtaposition of like the emotional situation she's in against those things as well. Yeah, being pulled in a lot of directions at the same time. And then also people constantly trying to establish control over her and her being elusive in this way that seems to draw them in more. But it means that as she's trying really hard to establish this, as she's giving different names and things like that, Those are ways to keep people from getting to keep her, right? So she's trying really hard to put these distancing places, and people are continually ignoring that. She doesn't always, you know, articulate it. So it makes it difficult, I think, from all the sides. (laughs) Like, a lot of people are having a hard time finding an emotional center, and she is as well. Yeah. But in her quest to try to kind of establish what she actually wants and what she wants to do, where she's going to go and things like that, she is just running into a lot of people, I think, that are trying to impart their will on her. Absolutely. And that makes it really a very interesting story to read because... All of the time, she's trying to push that away, but also needs this emotional thing that she gets from people, as we all do. So it's just fascinating kind of to watch the juxtaposition of pushing and pulling. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just all of that, like through this entire thing, the emotional resonance for any person who's been in those desperate poverty situations. And then also, you know, people who have been in situations where people try to make you be something that you're not. Absolutely. It's... Just so profound. You know, there's so many representations of what trans women have to do to survive, you know, to to butch themselves up or to make themselves look like their dead self, you know? Yeah. And, and 
it's really hard to read and and also it's really empowering, you know, to mm-hmm. see this character choose themselves over and over and over and over, you know. She chooses her and she chooses to stay alive. Yeah. When when like that's not the only option, you know. There's also a lot of sex in this comic. Oh yeah. <laughs> a lot of pretty graphic sex. Yeah. yeah. A lot of a lot, a lot of, of graphic dongs. sex. And then also uh the art is really great and beautiful uh, and dreamy, but it's super kind of, dreamy. Yeah, I like that description. Yeah, but it's uh what would you say, kind of like uh, animal, right? Like, yeah, they're anthropomorphized people. So they're like human bodies and then like dog head or cat head or or whatever. And right. it seems to be done by gender. Mm-hmm. So people who are cis women, I should say, are cats, I mm-hmm. think by and large. And trans women are sort of these these puppies. But it looking. switches sometimes, right? Because it does we switch, have, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because the, the guy yeah. is a bulldog. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Like they're they're clearly one of the things the artist is doing, the Remy Boydell is doing in this is playing with our conceptions of how we gender animals. Yeah. And so you get this sort of weird overlay of experience where it's like, I don't always love anthropomorphized yeah. people. This is a place where I felt like it worked really well. And it was beautifully. It was surprising, right? Because you don't see these styles match. No, (laughs) no. And so. Because it's kind of a playful, childish almost thing sometimes. Again, I mean, Mouse does that. So obviously it's not. Not always childish, yeah. But it has a whimsical, I guess is what I should say. It's like a whimsical quality to like make animals humanish. Yeah. But then paired with all the themes and the plot points, it's incredible. Yeah. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Just an emotional book. Yeah. I was going to say it's emotionally profound in a lot of ways because there's no easy answers in it at all. That's a great, great way of describing it. You know, it's a lot about what decisions do you make when most of your decisions are taken from you. Yeah. And it's inspiring to see a character figure it out and it's devastating at the exact same time. Yeah. You know, like there's someone who offers to just rescue her and make everything better. And she is like, that is not rescue. Yeah. And that is not what I want. Like, no matter what happens for the character after the book, you're like, this is her choice, even if given a limited set of options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Everybody has to read it. If you'd be into a book that is about all of the things that we just talked about, you've got to check this one out. Absolutely. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We also have a Patreon, www.patreon.com slash bitchesoncomics, where we have exclusive content. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. 
Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Music provided by Earth Control Pill, which you can find at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.